for IJM, as Paul has already said, which works in many, many countries around the world, literally rescuing thousands and thousands of people from sex trafficking, from um, slavery of many, many types. And it's just so great to have IJM here this morning. Some of you will remember James. He was at the Newground Ashburnham camp um, in August that many of us went to. And Dave Holden, who was speaking here last week, um, it's one of the organisations that he's urged us to partner with and to support. So why don't we give James a really, really warm Hastings welcome as he comes up to speak to us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, let's just start with prayer. Lord, we, um, we pray that we encounter you here today. Lord, we pray that, um, that my words will just wash away. But Lord, if there's anything of you, will that remain? And Lord, will that find a place in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. I, um, I've never been to a church where there's been a saxophone playing. And like, this has really, this has just really met me personally because I used to play the saxophone. So I was really inspired there. There was a part of me that wanted to get up and play, but I haven't played for about 10 years. So like, that would have distracted you all from worshipping the Lord. So it was probably best we didn't go that way. Um, also, you have a carpet. This is incredible. This is like the carpet of anointing. I love this. It makes me feel a bit like I'm in a living room and there's a cozy fire and there's just a few of us. So, you know, this is, this is the living room of the Lord. Um, thanks so much for having me. I work for a charity called International Justice Mission. And by the grace of God, last year, we saw 4,616 people rescued from slavery. And like... Literally, we're just a group of Christians, just from different movements that have come together and we just started with prayer and just started with the realization that this is on God's heart. And this is literally all we're going to talk about. But here's the thing, is that um, if you had a late night last night, if you were at a wedding, if there was something going on in your life, then I'm just going to leave you with one note so then you can snooze off. Your church is incredible. There are some incredible projects that so many churches do across the UK. I'm part of a church that runs a homeless community. I know you do too. Like, there's so many different activities that your church is part of. But here's the thing. I have the privilege of visiting loads of churches, and I have not met a church that is combating human trafficking like your community. So if you're going to hear one thing tonight, hear simply, thank you. And if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, then this is your opportunity to walk in through that door and be part of the new abolitionist movement. So now, actually, if that's all you've got time for, please snooze away. There's no condemnation in this space. Whatever needs to happen needs to happen. But I just want to tell you a little story about a friend of mine called Harry. Harry is probably the most charming man I've ever met. Just so incredibly charming. He's about six foot four. I blush when I'm near him. And this is a picture of him here. He's incredibly hipster. He's probably all the things I wish that I could be. He does spoken word, which is like my best attempt at rap. But he does it so much better than me. And so I would describe Harry as a strange mixture of George Clooney and Chris Pratt. This would be my best description of Harry. And Harry loves the Lord. And so one day, Harry um, just comes to this realization that he's been coming to for years. He realizes that the world is full of suffering. Harry would look 
on Instagram, on Facebook, he would look on BBC and he would see photos of this and this and this and this and this. Harry knew two things about suffering. He knew that it was deeply overwhelming. And he knew the truth about Jesus. He knew that Jesus walked towards the suffering, that he was born into our mess, that he washed the feet of the marginalized, and that he stood with the least, the last, and the lost. C.S. Lewis says that we kneel in the suffering of this world, tasting the coming joy. Tasting the coming joy. And so Harry feels this sense of being overwhelmed and he just isn't quite sure what to do. So he goes to church on a Sunday as he normally does. He doesn't fall asleep. He sits down and he listens to the message. And the message includes the story of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was 12 years old when she was kidnapped and placed in a brothel. Every day of every week for years on end, Elizabeth served 20 men a day sexually. The smell of the brothel is filled with a pungent taste of smoke and alcohol and sweat. And this was Elizabeth's teenage years. Then one day, we sent in an investigator with a really small camera. They collected evidence that gets passed back to the police. And then working with the local authorities, we went and we raided this brothel. As you walk in through the doors, you can just see that every corner is a corner of darkness. And moving from room to room to room, you're bringing people into freedom. And they got to Elizabeth's room and in the corner of the room, there's a curtain. And we find Elizabeth hiding behind this curtain. And we just say, Elizabeth, you've been set free. And over time, Elizabeth starts to realize that everything that she has experienced is going to become slowly a distant memory. And as soon as she realizes that she's walking into freedom, she says, I know where others are. And so over a period of a few weeks, Elizabeth goes from being rescued to being a rescuer. She helps us rescue five other girls. In the corner of Elizabeth's room, behind the curtain where she had been cowering, in the corner just down near the bottom, she had written in chalk these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Because Jesus kneels in the suffering of this world and is the coming joy. There is hope. And we know from Corinthians that hope never dies. Amen. Now, when we think about injustice, I know sometimes that story of Elizabeth is quite hard to relate to. Because I don't know about you, but my experience of injustice looks slightly more like this. 
I walk into a supermarket, and this happened just last week, and my wife had texted me asking me for pears and avocados. I don't know if you ever get texts to go to a supermarket for like emergency vegetables and fruit, but that's the text that I received. And so on behalf of my wife, Lucy, I walk into Asda, I pick up an avocado and a pear, like knowing how this is going to work out, I think it's best to buy two because I'll probably be made to eat compulsory fruit. Um, And so I walk to the checkout and I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's like your normal checkouts, there's your self-serving checkouts and like they're great, but there's a long queue and then there's the 10 items or less aisle and like that's the aisle I go to. You know, I have two fruit, two vegetables, I can count to 10, that's less than 10, I'm in the right place. And I'm here, and I'm, I really want to get out of Asda fast. Just, you know, it's a busy day. I'm ready to get out. But it's a really slow-moving queue. And I realize I've made the wrong decision. You know, that self-service checkout aisle was so much faster. And I look at the person in front of me, and I look and see that they have a fairly large basket. And so in a British, slightly passive-aggressive way, I count the number of items in my head in their basket. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Thirteen. Now, let's go through this together. That's more than ten items in the ten items or less aisle. And so I've got two options. The first thing I obviously have to do is let out that passive aggressive British sigh. You know when something's obviously not right, but like you're not going to bring it up with the person. I just sigh. And now I've got two conclusions. Either this person blatantly can't read. Or they're just completely disregarding the rules. And this person's wearing a gilet, so they can read. So they're blatantly just disregarding the rules. So here we are with this person. And this is my sense of injustice. But this is far from the biblical sense of injustice. The biblical sense of injustice is best summed up by two words. Mizpat and Sadek. If you know biblical Hebrew, then I really apologize for butchering those words. But basically, it's this idea of corrective justice and right community that come together. It's this knowledge that there are consequences to actions and that by moving forward, we can come to a place of a wholeness of community where everything is made new. And often these words are coupled in the Old Testament to point to this vision, which leads to this word that I'm sure you're a lot more familiar with. It leads to shalom, to peace. Through the mercy and the justice, we get to God's vision for peace. Now, in this book in the Bible, there's lots of passages. But it's fair to say that if we counted, there's over 3,000 passages in this book about poverty and injustice. So if you ever decided to cut those passages out of your Bible, which I am not recommending you do, but if you did, your Bible would literally fall apart. To say that God's care for the poor is at the periphery of the mission is just not true. Let's look at it. I'm sure you're all familiar with the book of Exodus, the, fir- the second, the first book of the Bible. Flip, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? That's, that's Genesis. In Exodus, um, we meet Moses. And Moses is caught in this awkward place between two people groups. The Egyptians, the rulers, he's grown up with them. And his people, the Israelites, who are oppressed, they are enslaved by the Egyptians. And in chapter 2, 
we come across Moses who witnesses an Egyptian slave master beating an Israeli slave. Just like Harry wanted to experience, Moses experienced right there. God broke his heart for what breaks God's heart. And this is the start of our journey to combating injustice. As we listen to God. And so Moses hears this, but this is where things start to go slightly wrong. Because Moses' response is to kill a slave master. When we feel the anger of injustice... It's really easy for us to move in our own strength. It's really easy for us to respond rashly and say, I am going to be the solution. I'm going to take the excess items out of this person's shopping basket and I'm going to throw them away because that is more than 10 items. And so Moses, responding in his own strength, kills a slave master. And then he has to run away. And then there's a long period of pruning that goes on for Moses. And so when we pick the story back up in chapter 3, just one chapter later, 40 years have passed. 40 years of Moses being a shepherd on a rock with a staff. Because we can't do this in our own strength. But with God, all things are possible. Do you believe that? Let's pick up chapter 3 at verse 7. As you know, at this point, Moses encounters the presence of God in a burning bush. Now, I don't know what your response to this would have been, but if I saw the presence of God in a burning bush, then I think my face would have looked a bit like this. Literally, I, I do not know what I would have done to respond. But so I always am quite amazed that Moses' response in the Old Testament is simply to say that he covered his face. And I'm like, I would have done so much more than that. And my response would have been, wow, what is this? So Moses comes before God. He takes off his sandals. He stands before and kneels before the Lord. And this is the narrative that happens. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses is a murderer. Moses has a stutter. And when Moses leaves Pharaoh, the most powerful man in humanity at the time, Pharaoh tries to kill him at the end of chapter two. So there is... From Moses' perspective, no logic in what God is saying to him. Because he can't speak to large groups of people. He is blatantly a sinner. And he has no good relationship with Pharaoh. But here's the thing. God doesn't work in human logic. And so when Moses asks God, what am I going to do? God's response is incredibly simple. 
God's response is, I will be with you. It's in my strength, not yours. I see the injustice of this world. And I want to see an end to it. And I'm going to use you. But it is going to be in my power. I want to see an end to homelessness and Hastings. I want to see an end to poverty in Hastings. I want to see an end to human trafficking in Hastings. And I'm going to use you. But it is going to be in my power. Amen. And so Moses is like, wow. And we know how this narrative goes. There's like this tussling, this back and forth, because Moses is just, you know, listing his inadequacies to God. And God is repeating that, actually, I will be with you. I'm greater than all of this. And then we get to chapter four, and this is the bit we really want to focus in on. Because at chapter four, at the beginning, we've still got this tussling match going on between God and Moses. But now that God has shown Moses the vision that he wants to end slavery and he will use Moses, he tells Moses how by one question. What is in your hands? Now, Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years, hasn't he? He's been holding a staff. And so God tells Moses to pick up this staff. And it is with this very ordinary shepherd's staff that Moses turns the Nile to blood, that Moses parts the Red Sea, that Moses brings water from a rock. You may feel deeply unequipped. You may feel as though everything you're doing right now in no way relates to ending human trafficking, to ending slavery in Hastings. But you're probably carrying a really important staff. And with God's power, we will see that change. Now, here's a story of Moses, and we know how it goes from here. Moses goes with his brother and his wife, and they start to see this movement that sees all the Israelites set free from slavery in God's power. It takes so much perseverance, but it happens. Now, it'd be really easy for us to be like, wow, what an inspiring story. This exodus in this Bible, this freedom from slavery is one narrative, and I'm going to appreciate that. And I'm going to go, wow, that's amazing. But like, how does that fit in to the wider narrative of the Bible? By the way, whoever put these waters here is amazing. Um, But Exodus isn't just one book. In the book of Judges, God calls Othniel to set the Israelites free from oppression. God calls Ehud to set the Israelites free from the slavery of the Midites. He calls Deborah. He calls Daniel. He calls Ezra. He calls Nehemiah. And ultimately, he calls Jesus to set us free from the slavery of sin. Exodus isn't a book of the Bible. Exodus is the narrative of freedom. Because God's call is consistent. He wants us to live in freedom that is ultimately the freedom of knowing him. And so constantly the Bible is this circle of grace, of the Israelites messing up, of God, of them finding themselves in the consequences of their actions, of them calling out to God, and then God sending a prophet or a judge to call them back to him. 
to bring them out into freedom. That's amazing, isn't it? And so when Jesus comes along, what Jesus does is incredibly new, but at the same time, it's nothing new because Jesus brings the Israelites into freedom and the Israelites are there going, oh, wow, this new prophet will bring us freedom from the oppression of Rome. And what does Jesus do? He brings them free from the slavery of sin. He goes deeper. And so ultimately, now we live under the blood. The cross and the resurrection has set us free. But as the church, our calling remains the same. To show exodus. To bring people into freedom. From addictions. From depression. From poverty. From slavery. We're part of the new exodus. And so this is what we do at IJM. It's super simple. We're just another group of Christians across the world seeking to see people set free from slavery that is going to point back to Jesus. If we take that story of Elizabeth trapped in the brothel, the process is super simple, but incredibly difficult. Firstly, Elizabeth needs to be rescued. Elizabeth needs to taste freedom. Elizabeth needs her own exodus. And so we send in these investigators with the cameras. We work with the police to bring Elizabeth into freedom. In different situations, in different parts of the world, it's not a few girls from a brothel. It's 564 people from a brick kiln. Slavery throughout history has evaded extinction through adaptation. And so our call is to adapt to completely end it. And so we rescue, and then we move into that process of restoration, as Anna mentioned in the video. 45 days isn't enough. We have the privilege of providing about two years aftercare to victims in the Philippines, in India, in Uganda, in the Dominican Republic, in all the places where we work across the world. We want to see people restored. And I was in India last year and I was talking to our social work team there and I was like, how does this relate back to Jesus? And they laughed at my face and they said, James, when you bring people into physical freedom and it's Christians who are doing it, how does this not point back to Jesus? And so that process of restoration goes on to empower Elizabeth to live the life that God envisaged for her. And then here's the gold dust. Here's the super difficult bit. We have to restrain the criminals. In 2012, we rescued 100 people from a brick kiln in Chennai, India. One year later, we had to go back and rescue another 100 people from the same brick kiln. Because after the first rescue operation, the slave master just went out and threatened and exploited and took 100 more vulnerable people. So here's what needs to happen. Justice needs to be done. That Hebrew word mizpat of correcting wrongs needs to happen through the local authorities. In the Dominican Republic, a trafficker is more likely to slip in the shower and die than be convicted for their crimes. Slip in the shower and die. So in those environments, it is super important that people know that justice will be done, that when we phone 999, that there will be a response. 
And then all of this comes together as rebuilding a nation. Of finding the flaws, finding the gaps, where are the problems? Which police parts are unjust, which are corrupt? Who needs to be trained up? Where can we see systemic change? Where can we see justice flow like a river? This is freedom. This is transformation. And this is the church. This is the church rising up to say and proclaim that this is Jesus. But to carry on his manifesto in Luke 4 by binding up the broken hearted. By setting free the oppressed. Amen. So what does this mean for you? What is in our hands? It's super simple. You have a community that's already responding. You are part of an incredible movement. And it's so easy for you to sit in your seat like Harry did. To see the overwhelming pictures of suffering in this world. And to believe that you're not the solution. To believe that you can play no part in restoring this world. To believe that you can play no part in seeing God's kingdom grow on earth as it is in heaven. But that's the enemy. Because God's looking to you. He's looking to me. And we're not equipped. And we're not sinless. But it's going to be in God's power. And what you already have in your hands is going to be so powerful when the almighty saviour uses it. So know that you can be part of that solution. Know that God is desperate to see transformation in Hastings. And he is looking to you. In 1785, that's a long time ago, there's a man called Thomas Clarkson. He's in no way related to Jeremy. Not at all. Thomas Clarkson um, decides to do what every 20-something does in 1785. He decides to enter a Latin essay writing competition. I've never entered a Latin essay writing competition. I expect most of you haven't. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because you'll lose all street credibility if you put your hand up. But here's the reality. is Thomas enters this Latin essay writing competition. And the title of the essay is super simple. Is it immoral to enslave the unwilling? Is it immoral to enslave the unwilling? Now, the answer for us is clear. Yes. But in 1785, British culture was really different. The largest money-making industry of the time was the transatlantic slave trade, where British slave masters exploited people from Africa and put them into plantations in America. So wrong. And so Thomas Clarkson knows what culture says. And culture in Britain says, this is how things are. This is how we become rich. This is acceptable. But Thomas reads his Bible. He reads some papers. And he comes to a revolutionary conclusion. Slavery is wrong. And so Thomas, in Latin, writes this essay arguing that slavery is wrong. And Thomas wins the competition. Now, I have no idea what you win for winning a Latin essay writing competition. I don't know if it's like the Latin alphabet. I, like, whatever it is, it's probably not that exciting. So let's imagine Thomas gets a gold star. Well done, Thomas. Pat on the back. But something way more important was happening. 
God broke Thomas's heart for what breaks his heart. God planted a seed in Thomas's heart. And so Thomas travels back to his hometown and halfway on the way home, he stops. He kneels on the ground and he commits his life to ending slavery. He knows that God wants to see change. And he says, God, can I be a part of this? Now, Thomas feels deeply overwhelmed because the slave trade was such an, a massive industry. He has no idea what to do. And so he does the only two things that he knows he can do. He prays. He talks to God. He asks God, God, you put this on my heart and now what? God, you place this on my heart and I have no idea what to do. But all I know is that this is from you. And then the other thing he does is he just starts to talk to the people he knows. And he starts suggesting this countercultural belief that slavery is wrong. And it just so happens that two years later, Thomas Clarkson sits down to talk to a man called William Wilberforce. God was doing something amazing in our nation. God was raising up evangelical Christians who moved our nation to see an end to slavery. He raised up Hannah Moore to do the spoken word and the poetry. He raised up Oliado Equiano to tell his story. He raised up William Wilberforce to be the voice in Parliament. He raised up Thomas Clarkson with his relentless persistence. It wasn't one person. It was a movement that grew in our nation, that spread across the world, that saw an end to slavery, but did something so much bigger and something so much deeper. They started to transform our nation to point back to Jesus. To point back to Jesus. And they knew that if they were going to do that, they needed one really big win. And that win was ending slavery. Let me show you a really short video. Restore the vulnerable. Restore. 
restore the broken and rebuild communities, God invites us to join Him in His work. And so we will pray for freedom, for justice, until every single man, woman and child is free. We ask for more. Until there is an end to slavery, we ask for more. Until it ends and never returns, we will keep asking for more. Come on. Every great work of God is first impossible, and then it's difficult, and then it's done. Ending slavery is not impossible. Transforming Hastings is not impossible. It's just really difficult. It just takes not a spark, not a flame, but a burning hot coal. A burning hot coal of our desire to see transformation. It takes persistence. So my question is simply, is this on your heart? Because if it is, then this is all set up for you. You've got Anna, you've got Natalie, you've got the anti-trafficking team here, which is amazing. And like, by walking up to the stand after this talk, you're not signing your life away. Although if you want to kneel on the ground like Thomas Clarkson did, then feel free. But maybe you can just pray. Maybe you can just go to a meeting. Now, unfortunately, we place the stands right next to the doorway. So like, you're going to have to walk past. So like, you've got this option to say hi or to just walk past. And there's no guilt. There's literally no guilt. But if you want to talk to Alexandria from IJM to learn more about what we do, to pray with us, to support, to find out more, whatever it may be, please do that. If you want to connect with what's already happening in Hastings, if you don't want to be on the outside looking in, then please just go and talk to the people there. But know this. Our vision is super simple. We want this to be the last generation of slaves ever. And we can do that. The last generation. But maybe here's a smaller dream. Maybe Hastings will get there first. Will you help Hastings get there first? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are the God of the least, the last, and the lost. Lord, we thank you so much that Jesus came into our mess, that we kneel in the suffering of this world, tasting the coming joy. And Lord, we thank you that you will make all things new. And until you return, Lord, we just pray that we will build your kingdom here. And Lord, we know that that starts with you breaking our hearts for what breaks yours. We know that that starts with us listening and speaking to you. So Lord, by small steps, will you help us to know what's in our hands? Will you help us to know what it means for us to be part of your kingdom here on earth? And Lord, we just pray that you will speak to us here today. And we pray that this will be the last generation of slaves ever. And Lord, maybe Hastings will be the first place to proclaim that. In Jesus' name. Amen.